Alrighty, welcome back to the seventh episode of this season. It's been a couple of weeks without an episode, so I apologise for that. We've been interstate and all over the place. But this week we're talking about the topic of brewery finance. And on the episode I've got Jason from Astute Financial, our finance broker, and Matt from Birchall uh, to talk about crowdfunding. Jason will talk about some different options for finance, which we've utilised for our business, which will hopefully be useful for you guys. But before I get into those... Um, just a bit of a wrap-up of what's been happening at Black Ops. We had our first BrewCon last week, which was really cool. Um, I did a panel on crowdfunding. Govs did a little talk on uh, gas with BOC. And uh, me, Eddie, and Govs all went down. Kernsey came down as well for the Indies on the Thursday night, which is a really good night, our first Indies Awards. No trophies, but uh, did pretty well with the beers. We submitted um, eight different beers, I think. And I think we got gold for two, um, silver for five and bronze for one so that was pretty good and a pretty solid effort from Queensland Brews lots and lots of gold medals um, in a uh, mix of group uh, where there wasn't a whole lot of gold medals I'm not used to going to these awards normally it's the Abers and there's seems to be lots of gold medals um, but this time there wasn't a whole lot but, but a lot of medals from Queensland so that was really cool to see um, and overall, a really, really good event, and we're looking forward to doing it next year. And next year, it's in Brisbane, so that makes it even cooler. We'll be able to take some of the brewers along and uh, take more of the team along to some of the sessions, which will be nice. So thanks to everyone um, at BrewCon for having us there. It was a lot of fun. Um, Crafted Festival just gone on the weekend was another really, really awesome year. The best I've ever done. Really, really great weather, and I uh, just had an epic day. Did the festival beer with the Delta Rigs, which was a nice little highlight for us as well. And we'll be releasing that at the Tap Room this week just an awesome event lots of uh great beers i think 38 different vendors and um there's distilleries and all, all kinds of stuff going on there great music it was a really really good day and i would encourage you guys to get along whoever did come along and um said hello hello black ops thank you for doing that too it's really cool to talk to people and thank you for uh coming up and telling telling me you enjoyed the podcast because that's always nice because like i've said before on here i never quite know who's listening so it's nice if you come up and tell me you listen to it so coming up, still heaps and heaps of events coming up in September. It's the biggest month of the year for us based on the number of events. We've got the Beeries on the 19th and we've got Niall and Ali nominated for that. So that's going to be a lot of fun catching up with the Queensland craft beer industry people. And hopefully Niall and Ali can have a good shot at winning their first Beery Award. And we've got Beer Inside of the following day, which is going to be massive as usual. And then Sunshine Coast Beer Festival in between now and then. So it's going to be a huge month. And at the end of the month, we're doing an Oktoberfest uh, little mini event at both of our tap rooms. So September is going to be huge. All right. So this week I chat with uh, Jason and Matt. So I'll bring you Jason first. I talked to him about just the different options for um, finance that we've looked at and um, had in, in the end, you know, when, when we started the business, we, we kind of thought it wasn't going to be a huge thing for us to worry about we, we did a round of finance and we thought we'd be good but the business has grown so much that finance has become, become a really really huge thing for us and it's very important to us um, getting enough money to do what we do so Jason's been a huge supporter in that and he's an absolute legend and I hope the content he provides is useful so let's go over to Jason all right Jason thanks for coming on the podcast yeah thanks Dan uh, it's great to be here all right, so I'm here with Jason from Astute Finance. Um, yeah, so I guess a good place to start is um, when when did you meet us and um, wh what point were we at when when we met? Yeah, sure, Dan. Uh, so I, uh, I'm i in an office uh, here on the Gold Coast. Uh, different people are in that office as well. And uh, one of your shareholders actually said to me, uh, you need to talk to this guy, Dan Norris. Uh, they're in the process of trying to raise some capital and uh, funding for a new brewery. Uh, so I gave uh, Dan a call, sent a couple text messages, and then finally uh, we met Dan. <laughs> it was in the very uh, early stages of setting up Black Ops 2. Uh, you'd ordered the equipment from overseas and you had a funding gap there and you needed some help to close that. Yeah, and and I guess I didn't jump on the idea of meeting another finance broker because we already had one and we just weren't having any luck. And so I guess I had the mentality that being a business that was only 
really only two years old, mm. there would be no chance that we would get any kind of finance other than through raising equity. And that was something I've been looking after myself. Yeah. Um, and we'd tried lots of different options to get finance through banks and even second tier lenders, all of which had failed. Mm. Um, fast forward, I guess, a year or two, and now we do have a good relationship with the bank and some good finance arrangements with them. Yeah. And that's thanks to you. So what, what was the first... What was the starting point? Like, like when, when I said, okay, we need, we need some more money. Well, what, what are you thinking at that point? Yeah, for, for, for myself, I really like to get to meet my clients, Dan, and understand where you are now and where you need to be. Okay, I've been in finance for quite a long time and it's very rare that there's not a solution to actually help somebody get to where they need to be. If you've got a good structure uh, and a good business in place, uh, at the end of the day, it's understanding that business and then how do you then talk to the financiers about that business to get them to actually, you know, get them on board with you? Yeah. So so why don't we just run through the options we either considered or, you know, ended up going with yeah. at the time. If we leave, I guess we leave equity out of it. I'm going to have a chat with Matt from Virtual about equity crowdfunding and I looked after the just the raising sort of family and friends around myself. Mm. Um Leave that out of it. Like, like, what's left at that point? What, what are the other options for breweries? Yeah, so the other options for breweries, Dan, is you look at, okay, so where's some inherent value in that business? Uh, obviously, you've got your goodwill. Uh, banks and financiers don't generally like to lend on that goodwill, but that goodwill obviously is your business, okay? So at the end of the day, when somebody's lending you money, they need to know that you can pay it back. They need to know that you actually have a, a good, sustainable business to do that. Uh, so whilst I don't place a value on that, that is important as well. The next thing that you look at is, okay, if worst case scenario comes along and the bank actually needs to get their money back, other than you know getting it paid back from you, what could they call upon yep. as far as security goes? And then that comes down to your equipment. Yeah, well, there are a few options weren't there that we looked at. We sort of, we looked at potentially mortgaging a house, um, looked at, I guess equi- the, the option with um, that we looked at with equipment sort of leasing. Remember that that first mm. one we looked at. Yeah. Um, and then I guess asset finance are all yeah the same sort of thing, but different different names. I guess different security. Yeah. So if you if you think about it this way, Dan, Black Ops needed the money to do Black Ops two. You know, to actually expand and get the brewing equipment in uh, for you to grow for yeah. the future. So you already had the plan in place, and you needed for that equipment. Uh, ideally, you should match that sort of funding up. So the age of the equipment, the type of the equipment it is, you don't want to tie your house up and things like that. So first first point of call is what sort of funding can we get against that equipment itself? Yeah, there's the likes of uh, second-tier lenders out there that will actually do a, a rental. So they'll actually own that equipment, they'll purchase it for you, and then you effectively rent that back off them. When you look at that and you work that out at a rate, sometimes it's upwards of 25%. Yeah. That you're yeah. paying it for kind that. of sounds good when you look at the number but yeah but really the the, yeah. the effective rate is is three times what it would be if you got financed through a bank yeah that's correct and and the thing is then that can be a drain on your cash flow too when you're you're just setting up you know your cash flow is king and if you've got these fixed expenses on on rental on equipment that you still need to get up to spec to get that cash flow from yeah you know, that that can be pretty dangerous yeah we went down that route um originally when we got our candy machine because we were paying um a third party to come in and can our product and it, it was it was a great solution but it was really only a stepping stone for us because we knew we were going to be selling lots more packaged mm. beer so at, at the tipping point where what we were paying them would be more than what it would cost us to pay the equipment repayments yep we went ahead and bought the equipment on those terms mm. um but looking back on it now and, and at that point, we, we, I don't think we would have got financed through a bank. I think we we're a year and a bit into it and, um, you know, we hugely high risk, I think, yeah. to a bank. Um, but looking back at it now, it probably would have been better if, if you could to avoid that and, and mm. go with some kind of bank solution. Yeah. Um, but luckily, it was a reasonably small loan, reasonably small amount of equipment compared to the kind of equipment we've got now at Black Ops 2. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And the the thing too, it's, it's who do you talk to at that bank? Uh, as well because there's all varied levels of experience at the banks for you to talk to so you might go and talk to somebody at a bank and think yep they're going to be able to help us but they don't have the experience and that's where if you talk to somebody like a broker yeah myself you know we've got the access to various banks we've got the experience as well uh, yeah. to do that yeah and we found um i guess we had some assumptions going into it one was 
the bank that we bank with was going to be the most likely one to help us out. Yeah. And they were the first to say no. Mm. And not, not because there was anything wrong with the way we were banking. I just think it, they weren't particularly open to working with a three-year-old business. Mm. Um, and I'd tried to work direct with ANZ as well. And they were actually quite good. Um, but, and they came back to us right when we, when we signed up with NAB, actually. Mm. Like, I don't remember if I told you that, but yeah, um, yeah that, they're still sort of interested, but it just took such a long time. And that, they kind of wanted us to be open and operational at Black Ops 2 mm. and have those financial reports ready where they could just look at them and say, okay, well, that makes sense. Now we can give you the money. But unfortunately, we needed the money to get the equipment and to get open. Yep. And NAB were ultimately happy to give us that based on these projections that we worked on for a long time. Mm. Do you want to talk through those? Yeah, sure. I'll just go back a, a couple of steps there, Dan. So you've you've gone off to ANZ with your financials and what you've thought they're going to want to look at. Um, and then they've obviously got their viewpoint of what you've given them. So their view of Black Ops would have been the cash flow and what you've given them. Yep, they've had a conversation with you. Uh, they've got an understanding of you. But other than that, they don't really know too much more about the business other than it's a three-year-old startup brewery. Yeah. And there's plenty of those around at the moment. Uh, the difference that uh, someone like myself could bring to the business, I got to know you, walked around the brewery, got to touch and feel it. You gave me access to your zero as well. Yeah. We played with Google Sheets. So from from my point of view, I got a really solid understanding of your business. So where, where you've started from, where you are now and where you want to go. And then off the back of that, I was able then to actually back that up with evidence out of zero and your Google Sheets, plus then with you know your actual results that you were getting at the moment. So for me, when I went to talk to those banks, it was like I was talking on behalf of, of yourselves, yeah. Black Ops, because I had that intimate knowledge uh, of of your business you know financially yeah and you obviously know the language to talk to the banks yeah. as well which we don't know because we're sitting around making beer most of the time yeah exactly right exactly or drinking right. it <laughs> <laughs> so when i when i went along to those banks i could actually then tell the story and get them along for the ride and that, that's really important as well so um initially i went to a few different banks you know what's your appetite i did leave anz alone and uh, it was the guys at nab that you know really bought into it yeah um and the finance we ended up going with, I guess that initial round of finance was uh, equipment finance. Yep. So um, I guess that some of the hurdles there probably go back to the fact that, you know, it's, it's easy for us to get finance for something like a car because yep. everyone knows what a car is and knows how mm. much it's worth. There's a very, very healthy market for it. If, it. if everything goes to shit, they can quite easily sell it. That's right. Um, it's a little bit more challenging to get. Uh, equipment finance for brewery tanks because mm. it's an industry that's so new and we sort of had to work with them to get them to understand that this is a legitimate asset that they could sell if if everything did go pear-shaped. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. Uh, when, to be honest, when banks lend you money, they don't lend you money for you not to pay it back. They lend you money for you to pay it back. Yeah. Okay, so the first thing that they really bought into was the Black Ops story, the history uh, and plus all the supporting evidence, the cash flows, and I was able to go into zero, pull different reports out of zero for them as well. That really helped. If all that does go to shit, then what can they sell? Yeah. And then it does come down to those tanks and all the equipment for the brewing equipment for them. Uh, so there was quite a bit of work uh, involved, you know, with the the invoice from the guys at Alpha that we had to give to NAB. Yeah. We had to go through that. NAB then had to have that appraise themselves around okay well what is the market value yeah they had to come and do an evaluation this. actually turn up to the brewery and look yeah. at the tanks and yeah yeah that's right then we had to uh do the serial numbers and the like so they could identify the tanks and the different sorts of equipment yeah uh, there as well so once we got over that stage uh then then it was you know quite easy yeah it, it, it was quite a, it was still a quite a time-consuming process so i think if people are thinking about going down this path it, it can't really be I mean, the way we did it was we, we kind of went out and commenced building this brewery without the necessary finance, which is the way we've done everything up until now. Yeah. But it's really not the best idea, is it? I mean, you, you, ideally, you'd be pretty confident you're going to have enough money and a relationship with the bank before you go and sort of order the equipment. Yeah, that's right. It's it's either a bank, uh, as Dan mentioned, there is a lot of other options out there, you know, second tier funders, uh, and there's a bit of private money around, you know, private equity uh, as well out there at the moment. So... I always say the most important thing is to understand your business and understand where you're going with your business and then what you're doing is actually going to get you there in your business as well. 
And if you're, if you're sure about that and you've got the cash flows uh, that can back that up, I feel there's always an option. Uh, and even in those early days, Dan, with your, your candy machine as well, given the size of that asset, if we had have spoken then, yeah. uh, I feel we probably would have been able to do something to help you as well. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, you mentioned private equity. So if, I guess if, if you exhaust all your options with the banks, and we did have some offers from private individuals, but there were, I guess there were reasons why we didn't want to go down that path unless we had to. Yeah. Do you want to talk through that? Because I know other breweries have gone down that path. Yeah, the, the, the thing with private equity, there's always uh, a lot of individuals. Well, you find that it's growing at the moment, Dan, because a lot of banks are actually, as you, the Hain Royal Commission, so banks are starting to tighten up yeah. with what they'll do to lend money to people. Uh, so you are starting to see the rise of these private funders, private equity plays out there in the market as well. Uh, a lot of those, you know, some of those guys are just investors. They'll lend you the money and then stay away. Um, but more and more what you're finding is that they will specialise in the area. So, okay, we want to get into craft breweries. Uh, so they're happy to invest, but they also would like a seat at the table. Yeah. There from that point of view. And, and whilst that's, that's good to get that money, you are diluting your equity and you are bringing somebody else in that's new and essentially you may lose control. Yeah, I think you need to be, like we've raised a lot of money from um, investors, but they've all been sort of individuals and they were kind of backing what we're doing. There mm. haven't been anyone that's come in and sort of thinking, let's take this over and turn it into something that we don't want it to be. Yeah, exactly. Um, but but I did notice when we were looking around for money with the banks, there was this option for private organisations to invest or individuals to invest, but not for equity, just, just basically as a loan. Yeah, um, sure. And, and we we had some of those offers on the table and, and ultimately chose not to go down that path. Mm. Um, I guess w w what are the upsides and downsides of that arrangement? Yeah, so so the upside, I, I guess, uh, what Dan's talking about there is private funding, okay? So if you think about you go to the bank, you get your money from the bank, there is actual private funders out there you can go to and get your money from them, okay? So essentially it's the same sort of transaction. Yep. Uh, invariably, they do price for risk, okay? So... A lot of those guys, they're going to be charging upwards of 18% plus. Mm. And there is a lot of fees as well to get into that. Uh, if you think about what I was talking about before, Dan, about people don't lend you money for you not to pay it back. Most of the time, a private funder will actually look at, okay, we're going to lend the money to a brewery. If it all turns to shit, I could go in and run that brewery myself. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. If you think about, you know, when they do private funding for a development, they'll say, well, okay, that's a nice site the developer falls over yeah I, I wouldn't mind owning that myself yeah okay yeah. okay so a lot of the time depending on how much skin in the game the private funder is going to have that's that's what they're thinking yeah okay so it is a way for you to get your money and get your access to your money also the downside with a private funder is you a lot of the time you don't have the same protections that you've got under the code of banking practice if you were to go to a bank yeah right okay yeah so really that agreement is just the, the letter of offer that you get from the private funder uh, and in an event of default and things like that, the private funder can be pretty uh, cutthroat to get their yeah. money back. Okay. Um, we've also done, I guess, an in-between option, which is not something I was really working with you on, but it's something we, we talked about. A couple of our investors wanted to do a convertible note, yeah. which was, I guess, is a bit of a bit of a combination of, it's a loan for a period of time that ends up converting into equity, and it gives mm. the investors a bit of peace of mind that they're going to get some sort of immediate return which equity investors normally wouldn't expect. Yeah. Um, but they're going to get some kind of interest repayments in the short term and then it will convert mm. later on. So there's different instruments you can use around that too. Um, yeah. yeah, definitely, definitely. So when you when you think about you raise your private equity and you're diluting, you know, you're actually uh, raising capital against shares in your business, the convertible notes are so to speak, like a, a second form of secured funding um, from that, or really unsecured funding at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. And and then so for the return, that's why those convertible note holders are after a, a rate of return because there is risk in there yeah. for them as well. Yeah. Actually, on, on that topic, the unsecured, is it worth talking about GSAs and, th and their role in, in this? Yeah. yeah so what... Um, Dan's talking about a GSA, that's a general security agreement. So when we look at what we did for Black Ops 2 with the funding there, uh, NAB took a general security agreement over the brewery. So that, that general security agreement encompasses all assets and uncalled capital of that company. So if, if it was to turn belly up, uh, NAB could then call upon 
that GSA and essentially that gives them the right to then operate that company or appoint a liquidator in need as well. It gives them the right to go in and uh, pull out the brewery equipment yep. and sell that and go from there. Yeah, so yeah. it might be worth thinking about if you're going to give that up, make sure you're doing it for a significant round of funding as opposed to something <coughs> small because you might find a year or two down the track you might need that up your sleeve. Yeah, exa- exactly right because that is uh, what, what Dan's talking about there is if you were to actually um, provide that GSA to a convertible note holder uh, at a more expensive form of funding and then in a couple of years down the track you might go and see your bank and the bank will actually want to have that GSA over your business and then they would be able to offer you a cheaper form of funding than that convertible note holder. Yep. Um, and, and I guess that there's also probably benefits of um, dealing with a bank in that if they're going to be the bank you're going to build a relationship over, you know, if you're building a brewery, you, you would hope that this business is going to last for a very long time and you're going to want a good relationship with your bank. So I, I suspect a bank that has you as a customer for loans and equipment finance and everything else as well as the normal everyday trading is a happier bank than one who has you for everyday trading and you're using everyone else for a, a finance. Yeah, exactly right, Dan. Uh, at the end of the day, the bank is like any other business uh, and they'd like you, in turn, they're backing your business so they'd like you then to you know back them by having the majority of your business with them. But in saying that too, policies and people change at banks quite a lot. Uh, and at the end of the day, I find it is generally the people that you're dealing with at the bank. And, and when they change, that's where the beauty of having someone like me on your side, uh, I can be quite nimble. You know, do, if, if National decide to change their policy and we need some funding for something else, well, we can get, just go and talk to another bank. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, what about invoice finance? Because we've, we've just put this in place, um, not, not necessarily because we desperately need it, just because it, once you start dealing with some of the big retailers and they're, they're giving you some of these terms that take you a lot, a, a lot longer to get paid and whatnot, it makes sense to have an option like this invoice finance that we've just put in place now. Do you want to talk through that? Because this is probably a little bit trickier than a, a typical asset finance loan. Yeah, yeah, sure, Dan. So, guys, when you, you think about it, it's how quickly you... When you spend a dollar, how quickly do you get that dollar back in your business? Okay, so when you're actually... You're doing the brewing, you've got the cans, you do the packaging, you've spent your money, you then send that off, say you send it to a, a supplier and you've got them on... You know, they might be on 30-day terms or you know, some even might try to stretch it to 60 uh, unless you offer them a, a substantial discount to bring those terms in quicker. Yeah, and, and to make that a bit more of a reality, that's exactly what uh, Endeavour do. Yeah. So if, you, if you're if you selling to uh, Dan's and BWS, they will be default 60 days, but I think it's a 3.5% premium to get paid in 30 days. Yeah. So if that, if that premium becomes way more expensive than just actually borrowing against that invoice. It makes sense to look at something like invoice finance. Yeah, exactly. So what invoice uh, finance means, it's exactly that. The bank has security. So they've got the general security agreement, uh, security over the company. That also includes uncalled capital, which is your invoices that you issue. So when you uh, issue an invoice, uh, the bank is happy then to actually uh, advance you funding, say from 70 to 80% of that invoice amount. Yep. And that's available to you straight away. Yeah, so there's, so there's, um, I guess what they do is we're talking about the process of what they actually do. So, so you, you send them a list of all of your debtors that are inside ninety days. Yeah, which for us is basically everybody, other other than a couple of random people who are mm. probably not going to pay us and they've gone out of business or something. Yeah, but for us, it's basically everybody. And then um, they will say the example you gave loan, like make available to you seventy percent of that. Yep. total value and then there's some restrictions around that in terms of um you know one customer having too much of that pie and, yeah. and whatnot yeah so exactly what dan's talking about guys when when you're in business if you've got multiple small clients you've got a more you've spread your risk across those clients where if you've got one or two big clients so you might just have a dan's uh or Woolworths as that big client and 80 percent of your business goes there well there's a risk there involved with 80% of your business to that one customer. And that's where the banks will look at, okay, if you've got, uh, say, in, in the example of Black Ops here, uh, they've actually approved a higher concentration risk. So knowing that, okay, these guys have a good relationship with Woolworths, so we'll let you, might be 60% concentration yep. uh, against Woolworths. Whereas other guys, they might say, well, no, we're only happy for you to have a 20% concentration 
exposure yeah. to that one that one customer. So when you say they have a good relationship with Woolworths, you mean NAB do, or they just know Woolworths is a legit business who's going to pay us? Well, yeah, Woolworths is a ASX listed company. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. they they know that they know your business as well, as well. So they know you're not going to do anything yourself to damage that relationship with Woolworths, and they know Woolworths should be good to to, yeah. to pay that invoice. But then again, there is always that risk. If you've got too much of your business with Woolworths and they've funded you against that, you know, there's, there's something could go wrong. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I think if they've got a relationship with... So we've, we've got some, some distributors who are sort of a, a few levels down from Woolies and Coles um, that, that also potentially could be a pretty high percentage of our business. Like we don't directly sell interstate at all. Um, so those companies, if those percentages start getting up high... NAB might look at them and say, well, do they bank with NAB? Do, do we know much about their business? Yep. Um, if so, maybe we'll put them into the fold as well and say you can have up to 25% with this particular company. Yeah, so the, the beauty of a uh, invoice finance facility is when, when it's set up, it's based on your business at the moment. So it's based on who your clients are. Do you have a concentration risk to one client at the moment? Uh, the banks will come in, they'll actually look at your processes as well with your invoices because that's their security. They'll look at your credit notes, your return policy, things like that as well. So they really get a good understanding. And if all your processes and, and procedures are right and then you've got the right mix of uh, debtors there, generally you know, they're happy to provide some finance for you. The beauty of the uh, product, however, is that as your business grows, it's very fluid okay? because the bank has got direct access to... Uh, understanding who your debtors are at any one point in time. As your turnover increases, obviously your need for cash flow increases as well. Uh, so it's a matter of once this facility is in place and as you grow and as your client mix changes as well, the facility can then change with that. Yeah. Yeah. So so I guess that, that growth could come through two different ways. Like if they, if, if, if I'm understanding it correct, say they approve the invoice financing for up to $500,000 worth of invoices, but we only have $300,000 worth of invoices. Over time, as our business grows, that 300 is going to turn into 500 and we can automatically access more of that money. That's, that's one way. And then the second way would be if that 500 is no longer enough, we can go back to NAB and say our business has doubled since we agreed to this. Can you increase that? Yeah, exactly. And what you, there's, there's two things there, guys. So... Most of the time, the bank will actually see that your business is expanding. You know, when they're looking at your reporting that comes through, they'll see you're expanding and you know, a good banker will come and say to you, hey, Dan, I think you're starting to push the, the top of this limit. Let's look at it and put an increase in now for you rather than you know, down the track. Yep. And, and they'll do that for you. The other way is, as you're saying, you, know, you, you might um, just say Black Ops picked up a heap of contracts out of New South Wales under terms. Uh, and you knew, okay, we're getting these new clients on board. We've got 30-day terms with them. We're going to have uh, cash flow uh, concerns around that. You go and talk to the, the bank and say, right, guys, this is what we're doing. These are the clients that we've got. And the bank can then look at increasing your facility for you to cater for that growth in your business. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay. Well, that's. I think that covers most of the major points. Um, yeah. If Yeah. I mean, for an, anyone listening, I would definitely encourage you to chat to Jason. You've been a godsend for our business and, and also a really good bloke and a really, really good person to deal with, which, which means everything as well. So cheers for your support and thanks for coming on the show. No, Dan, really appreciate uh, the opportunity to do this. And uh, also, as Dan said, I'd welcome any uh, calls or opportunity to assist. Awesome. Alrighty, I hope you enjoyed that, guys. Like I said before, Jason's an absolute legend and some valuable information there for you as well. So the next call I did with Matt from Birchall, this one I was hoping to do in person at BrewCon, but the, the schedule was just crazy and it was just hard to line up. So this one I did over the internet and you, you might notice the audio is not quite as crisp as normal, but it's not too bad. Um, and yeah, again, I've had a good relationship with Matt for a long time. He's a really super nice guy, very knowledgeable. He's actually a lawyer. Um, and uh, really, really useful when it comes to crowdfunding. Virtual is the platform we used. And um, if you're thinking about crowdfunding, this next chat is going to be useful. So let's go over to Matt. All right, so Matt, welcome to uh, our podcast. Thanks, Dan. Delighted to so be you're, here. <laughs> so you're one of the co-founders of Virtual. Um, I started chatting to you guys, it seems like years ago now when... We were talking about this idea of equity crowdfunding coming into Australia and you guys were planning 
creating this virtual platform. Um, what's what's happened since then? A few things. Um, so I think it was about August 2017 uh, when uh, Black Ops got some coverage, done a previous campaign um, with Possible and Virtual was really kind of getting its name out into the marketplace as Possible's uh, play in the equity crowdfunding space. Um, around September, legislation was passed and then it, it took some time for... Um, the first financial services licenses to be issued. Virtual got their license in January uh, in 2018. And then um, it was a bit of a slow start because it was uh, limited to public unlisted companies for, for a while, um, which is not a great outcome, particularly for uh, early stage businesses. But then it opened up in October last year and delighted to host uh, Black Ops as the first successful brewery to use a crowdfunding regime yeah and um i guess there's so there, there was us there was endeavor at the time and there was dainton and there's sort of been a couple of other people register their interest in um running a campaign but so yep. far so good as far as the live campaigns have gone they've all gone pretty pretty well endeavor raised half a million dollars from a couple of hundred investors i think we we raised our 400 maximum in six days which which was, I think, the first of, the first company to hit the maximum. Exactly um, right. Yeah, first first to hit the max, and uh, and obviously the fastest to to do it. Um, uh, it was. We think, you know, as you know, Dan, we think hitting your maximum is best practice um, because you end up with two groups of people: people that that got in and people that missed out. And uh, um, you know. But both groups, I think, have a positive feeling about the company that's making the offer um, and they're there raring to go, um, you'd hope, the next time that you want to do a campaign. So it does leave the door open for you. Yeah, that's right. I've always thought that as well. Um, so let's let's go back to this. I guess this episode is about finance and all the various options for, in our case, breweries. Um to get some money together to do what they want to do. It's an expensive business to run, so you need to get that money from somewhere. Um, why would a company consider equity crowdfunding as one of those options? Um, the way that we look at it is that a well-executed equity crowdfunding campaign um, delivers obviously the money that you need, um, but also and perhaps more importantly, increase brand awareness while you're running the campaign and an army of brand ambassadors that are really passionate about your business and are drawn closer to your business. So because of those two additional things over and above the money, um, we think that consumer brands in particular are really well suited for equity crowdfunding campaigns and they should actually look at this you know, first, I suppose, to the exclusion of, um, you know, of other kinds of uh, capital raising. So, um, yeah. Yeah, that's certainly been our experience, our, our, the ability to give our sort of most hardcore customers um, and fans the opportunity to invest in the business and be part of it was, was a, a whole new level of opportunity than we had previously. Previously, you'd have your, your sort of your best customers wearing your shirts and coming into the tap room regularly and whatnot, but having the ability to buy shares in the business is, is taking that sort of level of brand loyalty to another level. Um, I guess before we, we go on too much about how awesome crowdfunding is, do you have an opinion on, on, you know, why companies might not want to use it? A lot of businesses uh, find the, um, the prospect of ending up with hundreds or potentially thousands of investors as um, quite confronting um, and, you know, really kind of opening up their business to public scrutiny. Um, and those two things, you know, they're kind of fundamental requirements um, or fundamental features of doing a crowdfunding campaign. Uh, and, you know, I suppose if a business is having... Um, or struggling with the the prospect of having you know hundreds or thousands of people involved in their business, then then we'd say it's probably not right for them. Um, the, the businesses that do well are the ones that really embrace that kind of radical transparency and are excited by the prospect of having you know hundreds or thousands of people um, you know involved and interested in in 
not just their brand, but every aspect of their business. And that's probably, you know, a threshold thing that, you know, that people need to be um, aware of. The, the other point I'd make is that um, it's a given that it needs to be a good investment proposition, we'd say, that, you know, you really need to be uh, ready, um, have your affairs in order, and it needs to make sense as to why you're raising capital, um, having a good um, investment story rather than, um, you know, just seeming like a good idea in the abstract. But I think bringing people along for the journey at a critical turning point in your business is um, is another um, key requirement. Yeah, I think the transparency thing's a, a good point because we we as a business have always been very transparent. And so for that reason, I'd, I was always attracted to this idea of crowdfunding. But if if you weren't sort of like that, the idea of, you know, writing a 50-page document that exposes everything about your company down to your P&L and your balance sheet and everything else um, and the share equity breakup of the founders and that kind of stuff, that, you know, that idea might not be all that exciting to everyone. So so that's something worth thinking about. Um, it, so, so, so let's go through the process. If, if there's people listening to this now and they're thinking equity crowdfunding might be something they want to do, what, what would be the first uh, starting point for them? Sure. So we, uh, we have an eligibility form on our website. Um, so just answering a few questions to find out whether or not your, your company is eligible to make an offer under the Australian crowdfunding regime. I'd suggest that's probably the first step. Um, and then from there, we work to basically a 10-week process end-to-end. Um, and that's really from the point that, um, that work starts until the campaign is wrapped up and, you know, we're in a position to um, transfer or settle funds. Um, and that 10 weeks involves a couple of weeks of preparation. So, you know, looking at your marketing collateral, um, uh, preparing your company profile, which is a feature of the virtual platform, um, and then putting together your, your marketing and, um, and PR strategy for executing the campaign. Another important feature is the expression of interest campaign. So we run every um, offer through an expression of interest period. Um, and that'll take about three to four weeks. And then uh, the offer, which will also run for about three to four weeks, usually in quick succession after closing the EOI. While you're running the expression of interest campaign, we're also working with companies on their offer document. So every offer made under the crowdfunding regime needs to prepare a um, it's basically a cut-down version of a prospectus. But I tell companies that the, the section they need to focus on the most is about the company. So your business model, your team, your business strategy, and some financial information. Because the other sections of the document are either taken straight from the act or it's information. So it can really only be written one way. But we're you know, really happy to help companies through, um, through that process. Yeah, you guys were very helpful uh, with us in particular. I know we were probably a little bit more rushed than the average campaign. Um, oh, rush might, might not be the right word, but we like to do things quickly. Um, but it, it might be worth now just touching on, you, you did touch on some of those things that need to be done as part of the cam, like those, those sort of major pieces of work. Yep. So you've mentioned the offer document, which is which is quite a big piece of work. You can obviously help people a lot with that. And you can you know you can re- read other people's offer documents to get some inspiration um, that kind of thing. Um, there's also, there's, there's going to have to be a fair bit of content put out one way or another. We did a video. I, sh- I kind of assume everyone who does this is going to do a video. Um, a- absolutely. And then, yeah, it's very, then, very important. Yep. Yep. And then there's press. And then I guess the other, the other thing would be the constitution. I guess that's not a piece of work, but the constitution might be worth chatting about quickly as well. So, so those those are those sort of the major pieces of work. Yeah, and 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 the financials too. So I might just yep. deal, deal with the constitution quickly. Like it's hard to because every company is different. Um, it's hard to kind of you know make some comments that will apply to everyone. But usually, um, companies will have a constitution and a shareholders agreement, um, and 
sometimes they might not have a shareholders agreement. But what, what we've seen is that there's a little bit of work that needs to be done to kind of clean that up to make um, your documents uh, suitable for a company that has potentially hundreds or thousands of investors. Um, yeah. And then... And the, the key thing there is around sort of when you make changes, not needing to require a thousand signatures. Yeah, that's right. So, um, and, you know, it, it, ha- it happens sometimes with companies, they get to this point and then they need to make a change to their documents and they might have, you know, kind of collected a few shareholders along the way. And then the difficulty in, you know, even making those changes kind of proves the point that you've outlived the uh, documents that you have. So... It's not yeah. really a crowdfunding thing, but it's one of those things that um, is a good opportunity to tidy up your affairs to make you investment ready. So, um, and yeah, it's it's a common uh, it's a common thing that we see with companies, and we're obviously really happy to um, help companies ask the right questions or get the right advice. So, like, we can't provide legal advice, but what we can do is help you refine the questions so you know your lawyers aren't kind of learning on the job with, co- with yeah, cost I think, of money. I think the, the um the constitution thing is probably where like you make the point about it not quite being a crowdfunding thing I know for us and lots of other breweries we have lots of shareholders before we even did crowdfunding and there's there's a lot of breweries in that boat because it tends to be an expensive thing to do so you end up having a bunch of shareholders and if that's the case you'd probably be looking at a constitution before you, you know, once you have sort of six or seven shareholders, you, you probably aren't going to want to go around for every minor change, getting a signature on everything. And so you're probably looking at a constitution anyway. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and look, I mean, there's a variety of ways to do this. The, the, the thing is, there's a few of you that have been through this process now and, you know, there's, there's a few law firms that have done this work. So, like, we're always happy to make recommendations or, you know, have discussions with, um, with lawyers if, if, you know, if companies already have um, people that are helping them out. So, that's fine. The other point that I'd make is about the financial statements because this is the other thing that, you know, can potentially hold up an offer. Um, the, the the minimum requirement is to include the most recently complete the financial statements from, from the most recently completed financial year. Now your offer took place in January, so the approach that you took was your 2017 18 financial statements, and then you updated to I think it was 31 December um, with management accounts for 2018. Um, yep, but. If, um, and that's fine, so, you know, you already had those financial statements ready to go, but, you know, if you're in August, September and you want to make an offer, um, you know, kind of getting onto your accountant early and making sure that uh, they're not going to hold up your offer is probably, I think, the best advice that I can give if, you know, if companies are thinking about doing this just involving your accountants early. And it might be that, you know, there's not a lot of work to do, but it's better to know that, you know, three, four weeks out than, um, you know, three or four days before you want to get the offer done. So, Yeah, because there is a bit of a process, isn't there? You can't just create this document and kind of upload it on the site and you're ready to go. Yeah, that, that's right. Look, you know, we try to move as quickly as possible and turn comments around really quickly. But, um, but yeah, it is... It is uh, there is still a bit of a process. So. Okay, and what about the other elements? So, I mean, obviously a good video I've always thought is pretty important with crowdfunding. Yeah. Um, making sure that you've got, I guess you mentioned the story, but if you're going to, from our point of view, we were doing content, you know, blog posts and podcasts and whatnot outside of the campaign itself just so our audience sort of knew, knew what was happening. We had things at the tap rooms. We didn't really do any in-person events, but but can you think of other examples from companies of things they've done content wise to sort of give the campaign a little bit more push um no i think you've like ticked a lot of the boxes and you know i I do often refer to the black ops campaign as you know kind of textbook execution of uh of a launch for for a crowdfunding offer um you know doing a lot of work beforehand and, and really using that expression of interest um period to to understand you know, where the early support is going to come from. So equity crowdfunding campaigns, like anything, it, you know, it's busy at the start, it gets a bit quiet in the middle, and then it gets busy at the end. 
unless you close it in yep. six days like you guys and you don't have to worry about any of that. But um, so, you know, being prepared and knowing where that money is going to come from in the first few days is really important. And if you don't know, then you're perhaps not ready. Um, so that's, the, that's what we try to do is just create as many opportunities as possible to let people know that this thing is coming up because it's important to open um, in a strong way so then you can leverage that success and then bring other people into the, uh, into the campaign. Yeah, and I guess there's a, the rule of thumb with normal crowdfunding applies here as well, which is that you want to have your kind of minimum target or, or you know, some, I guess somewhere around 20 30% of your target done in that first day or that first, well, I guess that first week, but if you can do it in the first day, then even better and the campaign starts. Yeah, that, that's, starts that's well. right. And look, you know, I think the, the rules of thumb that you're referring to um, would apply for reward crowdfunding, but um, we tend to work on, you know, 50 to 60%, you know, perhaps even higher, 75% of your um, minimum target within the first few days. Um, so, you know, there's really a lot of emphasis on that expression of interest campaign and then really engaging with the list. So you'll get this list of people that have they've made the first move. They've said, okay, you know, I see you guys thinking about an offer. Yeah, I'm interested in investing. If someone's said that they're interested in a significant amount, um, you know, you, you should be catching up with them, um, asking them questions, sharing your offer document in draft form before you open it, you know, getting as much feedback as possible just so there's no surprises when you open the offer. And, you know, on that opening day, you, you, you know that you've got some support coming in. Yeah, actually, you touched on there that, that people are investing a significant amount. It might be a good, good time to address that. Um, so in, in Australia, if you have sophisticated investors, that they, they can invest a lot more than the average person, but the average person is limited to $10,000. Yeah, that that's right. right. $10,000 per company per year. Um, for retail investors. So retail investors, basically, it's a legal term for everyone, basically. Everyone is retail yeah. unless they're not. And um, people that aren't retail, uh, the way that we establish that is um, by an accountant certificate saying that they've got $2.5 million in investable assets or greater than 250000 in gross income for the last two financial years. So basically, you know, high net wealth, yeah. um, uh, professional type investors, but but that's how we deal with that. Yeah, and and I didn't realize this. I'd sort of been following the New Zealand campaigns, but um, they had examples like the the parrot dog one who raised a million dollars, I think, on the first day. Yeah. Um, and when I I went to their session, I sort of realized that they don't have those same minimums. I think they think sorry, same maximums. I think their maximum is something like thirty five grand. Yeah, right. From memory. Um, and they had a lot of people, I think, I can't remember the amount, but it was something like a third of their whole round or more of people who invested either the maximum or, or more than the Australian maximum. Whereas in our case, we only had, I think maybe three or four people who invested 10 grand. Yeah. Um, but when you've got, I think they had 13 or 14 people invested 35 grand or something like that. So when you've got that, you're all of a sudden talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars being added to your campaign, which is a luxury we don't really have in Australia. And, and we didn't get, for whatever reason, didn't get anyone um, invest who wasn't accredited investor, or at least at least that they may have invested, but they didn't make it known to us and didn't invest more than the, the retail investor. And they didn't, have, they didn't um, have a lot of time either. It was, it was closed in six no, days. So. That's true. <laughs> it's a bit different. Yeah, but, um, that's true. But look... The, but there have been campaigns in Australia that have attracted those bigger named investors and they've come in and bought lots lots of shares. Yeah, uh, exactly. And I'd say, you know, most of our campaigns will, would have some um, uh, participation from a wholesale investor. Um, the, the largest single investment that we've um, accepted on the platform was a million dollars, which was invested in Shiva Rideshare. Um, yeah. which is a campaign that we hosted earlier this year. They, they raised $3 million and it's still the largest under the regime so far. Um, but look, there may be other wholesale investors that, that invest in campaigns, but th th it's only when they invest more than $10,000 that they need to prove their, or, or want to invest more than 10000 that they have to prove their status. 
So yeah. I suppose, you know, we don't have a totally accurate picture on wholesale participation, but I'd say most campaigns we're reviewing at least one certificate for an investment above 10000 The The thing I'd, right. I'd, I'd, I'd say about the, the limit, though, is, you know, there was a lot of time uh, spent considering what, what does an appropriate crowdfunding regime look like in Australia and um, protection of investors uh, is really important to the regime and, you know, it, everyone had a lot of time to think about what the appropriate maximum was. I think that we're lucky and that it was fairly generous. If you look in the States, um, their uh, Regulation A um, regime, I think it's about 2500 um, so, you know, it could be a lot worse. I think, um, you know, $10,000 per company per 12 months is still fairly generous. It does promote diversification, which, you know, is really important if you're investing. So, um, you know, the setting's probably, you know, probably about right, I think. Yeah, okay. Interesting. With, with Can I ask with the Sheba one, how, how does that kind of investment come about? Like, like I'm guessing normally to get a, an investment of a million dollars, you've kind of having lots and lots of meetings and you're targeting certain people and all of that, is, is that still the case here or did that just come out of the blue and wanted to invest? It's a bit of both. So, um, you know, what it showed to us is that the expression of interest um, process actually works and that, you know, people being able to advertise these offers to a nationwide audience now does bring, you know, the um, these offers to the attention of people that are investing in, you know, people with a lot of money that are investing in these opportunities. But, you know, of, of course, an investment of that size does require um, several meetings. You know, I think Alan um, attended several meetings um, uh, with, with, with Sheba for, for that investment. So, um, yeah, so yeah, it's not, it's not as though, um, I suppose, in, in general terms, that someone's kind of, you know, just sitting there and just punts a million dollars on a, on a company. Um, yeah, I mean, it's... It's possible, um, but it's, you know, at the end of the day, it's still old school capital raising, you know, meeting people, coffees, yeah. pounding the pavement, pressing the flesh. Yeah. Um, so what what do you think people are looking for when, when they invest in these companies? Like if, if we look at, say, breweries, for example, you know, when you do a campaign like this, you can put up rewards for people, but people are also buying equity in the business. So I guess you don't have to offer rewards. Um, I think Modern Times just did a massive campaign in the States and I don't think they really did awards. They have like an awards program that's totally separate to it yep. and it worked out fine for them. But but the ones I've seen here are pretty heavy in the rewards and, and ours were ours wasn't super heavy, but but still I think, I think a, a big reason for people investing was to get some of these sort of exclusive things that they couldn't get otherwise. Yep. Yeah. I, look, we... You know, obviously with Possible, um, you know, Alan's got really strong background in reward crowdfunding and seeing um, what works in that space. Uh, it's a big reason why um, companies will will consider equity crowdfunding is to draw people in and really appeal to the consumer element of their company. So it's, you know, it's a good opportunity to align um, people with, the company and what it does. I think also, um, you know, the larger rewards are a good opportunity to uh, provide, you know, these money can't buy experiences as an additional incentive to, to get a larger investment. And, you know, if I think back to our first successful uh, campaign, which was for Park, Park Social, which is a, um, a, a, you know, they, they make soccer balls um, basically and it, it's got a really nice buy one, give one model. And Sam Davey, the founder, goes on annual giving trips. So, you know, to give soccer balls to um, kids and organisations in developing countries and people that invested over 50000 um, got an invitation to come on one of those trips with Sam and um, an investor, you know, took that up. And I think, you know, if you're investing a significant amount of money, it's... Um, it's something that's a bit different to, um, you know, any other investment that, that you'd make. You know, these kind of money can't buy experiences um, that you're not going to get through, you know, investing in a listed security or, you know, other things that these people might be looking at. Yeah, nice. Um, and what what are the costs? Like we've, talk, we've talked through 
obviously the various pieces of work that people would have to do to make this happen. There's also, um, I guess, staff costs and, and there's a fee from you guys. Like, like, like what are sort of, what's the range of what people would expect to pay to run a campaign? Yeah, sure. So Birchall's fees are pretty simple. We, we charge about $3,000 in upfront costs, um, $900 to publish the expression of interest campaign and about $1,900 to publish the offer. Um, it's, it's staggered. So, you know, you can do the expression of interest campaign and then obviously we want everyone to go through the process, but if you don't want to continue, you don't have to and, and, and that's fine. Um, and then we charge 6% of uh, funds raised on success. So our side of things is fairly, fairly simple and straightforward and you know, all of that information is on our website. Um, but the other costs that companies need to be aware of is, you know, producing the video um, and, you know, that, that could be a few thousand dollars, um, um, you know, but some companies are really good at doing these kinds of things and producing this content in-house. Um, yeah. And then there's, you know, some content production, some money on um, legal fees and accounting fees. Um, and again, it's probably, you know, a few thousand dollars um, for each. And, um, and social media advertising and, and, you know, people say how much, um, it really depends on how much you want to raise, um, you know, it could be a few thousand dollars to, you know, tens of thousands of dollars. So. Yeah. And you guys, uh, are you guys still supporting companies with that? Cause I know when we did ours, uh, social media advertising is not something we'd really do at yep. all. We do lots of organic content, but you guys uh, helped out a lot with that. Yeah. Um, we support all campaigns with uh, with social media spend. Um, but, you know, what we can do is um, not as compelling as what the company can do. So, you know, the message is always stronger when it comes from the company that is, uh, that is making the offer. But, yeah. you know... We charge $900 to publish an expression of interest campaign. Reality is we actually pump most of that back into social because what we're doing at this point is to test um, what's working and, you know, what, what content um, people are engaging with and, you know, I suppose sizing up um, what the social media spend is going to um, uh, what, what we're going to require for, for the campaign depending on how much the company wants to spend. So. Okay, very good. Um, one last question. Um, you've mentioned a couple of other campaigns. I, I sort of always think if you're going to do something like this, it's a good starting point to just go have a look at some other videos, have a look at some other offer documents, look at look at the campaign pages and whatnot. Do you have any in particular that you like to refer people to to go and check out? It doesn't necessarily have to be in this industry. Um, oh, look, I'm... Um... You know, like a proud parent, I'm I'm proud of all of them. So you know, have a look at the <laughs> at the virtual website, and um, you know they're all up there, and you know, including videos and, and offer documents. I think um, it is important to have a look at others that are you know in your industry and, and similar um, similar to yourself, um, because and I think it's helpful virtual um, focusing on businesses that have a strong consumer proposition means that, you know, we do service um, multiple businesses within an industry. And I think it is helpful to see how, you know, um, if we're talking about brewers, how other brewers have, have approached this before, because, um, you know, you can learn from and, and improve on what, what's come before. Um, all right. I think that's about it. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm quite keen on this type of crowdfunding. I think it's at the end of the day, you're going to need to get money from somewhere. And the idea of doing it publicly to me seems like a better idea than doing it privately behind closed doors because it just means that everyone gets to learn from the experience. So I think it's a really good thing. And um, we were really happy with virtual doing it on your platform, the support we got from you guys. So thank you for that. And um, if anyone's thinking about it, has got any questions, I'm obviously able to answer any, but I'm sure you are as well. What's, what's the best way for them to hit you guys up? Um like I said, the eligibility form on the website is is a great first um, uh, you know first entry. But otherwise, Matt at virtual.com or Alan at virtual.com, and really happy to uh, you know answer any questions and, and um, you know catch up with people that are considering equity crowdfunding. Um, we're also a member of the Independent Brewers Association, so um, you know we're really focused on 
helping brewers. We think that this form of fundraising is perfectly suited to um, to brewers, and uh, you know, it's um, it's got the potential to you know really get some much needed capital to a fairly capital intensive activity. So, absolutely. All right. Cheers, Matt. Thanks for coming on. Absolute pleasure. Thanks, Matt.